Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivani. According to the Association of American Medical Colleges, the U.S. will face a shortfall of up to 139,000 physicians 10 years from now. Well, our guest today is in a position to help reduce the number as the founding dean of one of the country's newest medical schools. Dr. Brigham Willis was picked earlier this year to lead the University of Texas at Tyler School of Medicine, which will welcome its first class of students next summer. It's the first medical school in Northeast Texas, a region that has some of the highest rates of obesity, diabetes, and smoking in the country. That explains why Dr. Willis is establishing a strong focus on primary care and hoping to graduate students who see themselves as preventative healthcare advocates. He is also intent on shaking up the traditional medical school curriculum by limiting lectures in favor of active learning and stressing nutrition education, which will be aided by a teaching kitchen. Uh, so, Dr. Willis, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Absolutely, Shiv. It's uh, my pleasure. So before we started this podcast, for our audience's sake, Dr. Willis has a really sharp memory. He was on a plane with my father almost a decade ago when I was starting Osmosis. And uh, we had my dad I'm visiting him in Florida come in and, and reunite and say hi to Dr. Willis. So uh, really great kind of backstory. That was wonderful seeing him again. I mean, just uh, thinking about what you were trying to do then, I was intrigued by trying to assist in curricula delivery in an innovative way. And your dad was so proud and look where you've come now. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite quite a journey and we've been fortunate to interact with a lot of forward-thinking medical educators like yourself. So I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast and a lot of the things in the bio ranging from your active learning to uh, focus on nutrition, practicing primary care in rural Texas, very interesting to me. So for our audience's sake, um, would you first tell us a bit about your backstory, what got you interested in medicine, and then particularly pediatrics? Absolutely, yeah. Um, as a kid, it was either teacher or pediatrician. I don't know why I always respected my teachers. I love my pediatrician. I was into science, and so I, I went with the pediatrician because it seemed like helping kids and the scientific uh, thing would be really meaningful, but I always maintained my involvement in teaching. I loved it. My first job in college was as a chemistry tutor, I was, you know, a peer tutor in medical school. I immediately got into education and residency and just went on and on. I just kept that focus and involvement in education. I did research for a while, but it's just always a passion of mine. I love the process. I love watching learning happen. I love seeing students I've interacted with succeed. Uh, to me, it's the, it's the most meaningful thing you can do. Such an incredible exponential effect when you, when you educate somebody well. Um, that's how I've stayed intrigued. And to this day, education, it, it makes you happy every day. Even when I'm stuck in boring admin meetings, it's in service of, of the educational mission. So I really love it, which was inspiring, actually, my job here. You know, I, I have a very strong educational background, but I'm sure other candidates for the job had more publications or those kind of things. But um, we're really focused on education here. And I think it that's part of why I was lucky enough to get the opportunity. Yeah, no, totally. And and one of the things I love about new medical schools that, that get started is it's a blank slate. Like you can you can kind of define it what you want, whether it's a new program or um, you know, this focus on nutrition and rural healthcare. So can you talk to us a bit about the founding of the school, kind of what makes it unique and what you're most excited about? Yeah, I love how you're saying it's a blank slate. And that's that was both a huge challenge, but a huge um, opportunity because I was the first permanent hire and I'd ask, can I do this? They're like, I don't know. You're the Dean, do what you want. And so I, can, <laughs> I but one of the things, um, when I 
was looking at the job is very excited about about being able to implement an active learning curriculum like I'd always wanted to. I'd always been an active learning proponent. I mean, it's the voluminous literature behind it should suggest we should have been doing this for many years, uh, but it's been a slow process of change in medical education. Lots of schools are obviously implementing way more active learning, but at all my previous institutions, people kind of resisted to that change. And so when I came here, it was an opportunity to do that. When I arrived, it was exactly what I always wanted to be a part of. They had hired incredibly innovative educators and they had built this, this beautiful curriculum. So now I'm able to help implement that. And it's, it's exactly what I like to do. We, we hyperbolically like to say we banned the lecture. Obviously that's not going to be true. There will be instances where that type of delivery might be useful, but we're challenging and all of our teaching faculty, when they come with a, here's what I'm teaching. The second question is how are you going to deliver it? And how is it active? So that's just been, been really cool. And, um, what we're trying to do is create a very unique curriculum focused on how our school serves the particular needs of East Texas. And you mentioned some of them, um, the lifestyle related outcomes in East Texas are some of the worst in the country, obesity, heart disease, stroke, you name it. And so we're trying to incorporate things that, you know, I never had when I was at med school, we're having a lifestyle medicine thread that's explicitly woven throughout all the um, foundational sciences and clerkships about nutrition, exercise as medicine. And our students are actually going to have the opportunity to uh, become nutrition coaches and personal trainers. Other things were, you know, a really strong health system science threat because why are people having poor outcomes in the region? A lot of it is access and health equity and health disparities. We want our students to be change agents and really well-schooled in the science of health systems so they can make a difference in the rural communities when they go to practice there. Uh, so just things like that. We're doing something a couple schools are doing where the students actually become certified EMTs in the first six weeks of the uh, curriculum. So that kind of functional, really how can you change people's lives type of skills is what we're trying to focus the whole curriculum on. That's really fascinating. Very exciting. Uh, there's so many threads we can pull on. I particularly like the focus that you all are having uh, on helping your students who are going to become physicians, become health coaches, get nutrition trained, and become EMTs, because for, for two reasons, really. One is these are useful skills, because I remember it takes a while for you to feel useful as a med student um, and to be able to, within the first few weeks, know how to you know uh, save someone's life because you've learned ACLS. Uh, very important. And number two is, as you well know, uh, care teams are becoming more diverse and care coordination is really important. So the empathy that I think these phys future physicians from, from your school will have for these other members, important members of the care team, I think is going to be remarkable. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I've always said, I, I want to go back to school now. <laughs> yeah. I understand why things are important. And, you know, in learning, context is so important. If you just memorize it, it just falls out of your head, right? And so if they go through the EMT training and they take care of some patients and actually have the functional skills to take care of them, they're going to really pay attention in their cardiac anatomy and cardiac physiology sessions, right? So that context, I think, is going to be going to be really important. 
Absolutely. That's that's great. I agree with your sentiment about wanting to go back and do med school nowadays with, with all these uh, advancements. One thing I was going to ask, I mean, I know nutrition is a big focus. We talked about some of the health coaching and nutrition training your students will get. I remember when I was in med school, we got about three days of nutrition education in the first two years and maybe a day of behavior change, things like shared decision making and other behavior strategies. A big focus of ours on the podcast has been to bring on people who talk about nutrition, but also people who talk about behavior change like BJ Fogg, a Stanford behavioral scientist who talked about how, how people change their behaviors. And that, that's obviously lifestyle medicine. I'll have to follow up with you because some research a decade ago at Hopkins that got me really excited about preventative medicine and teaching was um, how clinicians who practice what they preach are more likely to have an effect, a positive effect on their patients. They model those, they are role models for their patients. So it's almost like a pulmonologist telling you to quit smoking and they smoke. Right. It, it doesn't really work that way. Totally. Can you talk to us a bit about how much things like that, your teaching um, expertise and specifically your interest in nutrition kind of is going to permeate the curriculum, including the, the kitchen. I'm very fascinated by this idea of this kitchen. Well, that's a huge part of our curriculum. That's why we're calling it a lifestyle medicine thread. Exercise, nutrition, but a big part of behavior change. We actually have a uh, preventive medicine residency here and a number of lifestyle medicine uh, boarded faculty will be focusing on all those things because again, it speaks to mission. Uh, most of the poor outcomes in the region are lifestyle mediated, right? Not eating right, not exercising, drug use, smoking, you know, all the things. So we, the whole thread is going to be focused on that. We actually just got a big tobacco cessation grant that our uh, preventive medicine team is, is implementing in the region. So we're trying to focus the whole school on those types of things. For the nutrition, we're really excited. We actually established a relationship with the East Texas Food Bank and the dietitian that's at the food bank is actually going to run our nutrition teaching curriculum. And part of that is healthy eating classes in our teaching kitchen, which is a in the lobby. It's like the first thing you see when you walk into the lobby of our uh, med school building. And so we're trying to just focus the, get the importance of that, put it out front and center. And then I think having the person teaching the students be the food bank dietitian really pushes the community engagement part of what we're trying to do. Everything is intended to have value add to our community. That's wonderful. That's so cool. I'd have to make a trip out there and check it out myself at some point it would be great. Yeah. Um, this also reminds me of some of the big developments that are happening in the delivery of healthcare as a whole, where there's obviously integrated health systems like Geisinger and Kaiser Permanente that that have been trying to uh, integrate their primary care with the tertiary care, with uh, community programs. But then obviously, most recently, companies like Amazon, you know, which owns Whole Foods, buying One Medical or Walmart expanding its healthcare offerings and kind of the promise. We've had people from Amazon and Walmart on the podcast. The promise is, you know, if you meet with your physician or nutritionist, dietitian, then then you suddenly get a prescription to Whole Foods, right? Like for like a a meal. I'm curious, you know, any kind of uh, commentary on kind of trends in healthcare that you're seeing, like these big companies, tech companies, retailers getting into healthcare and how you can train the clinician of the future to, to, to live in that ecosystem? Uh, Not specific on corporate partnerships, but we are already uh, implementing across the board academic community partnerships um, to teach the students that being in ivory tower and just doing your thing is not going to get it done in a region like ours, like a rural based region. You have to be expressly embedded within the community in everything you're doing. So we're working with all of our local 
FQHCs for, for student placements. Um, we're doing leadership training for the students to be able to build those kind of partnerships because whether it's corporate or community or whatever, the idea is to get out into the community and not make the patients come to you. To get out there and provide the care, the behavior change at the patient and not making them make the journey to us, right? So I think that's the principle we're trying to instill in our students from day one is that community centeredness and really like a term I like to use is um, community embeddedness, right? Everything we do from research, education, clinical care should be in the community and doing it with the community. One of the first things we've established is a community advisory board, which is community members from across service organizations in our region uh, who are going to tell us if we're doing the right thing on a regular basis regarding our, our community programs, our research programs, and where the community sees sees the need and, and are we meeting that need. So I think, I guess that would be my main take on that is getting that those relationships built so that you're responsive to the needs of, of your community. I love that. Yeah, community embeddedness is a great, great term for it. And, you know, it, it echoes some of the, the needs we have where when I introduced you, we have a, a shortage that there's no doubt there's a shortage of clinicians. And that stat from the WMC is actually pre-COVID. Things have only gotten worse as, as more clinicians have left the workforce and more will continue to do so um, unless systems change. But the other argument is it isn't just a shortage of overall absolute numbers. It's also where they are. And rural settings like uh, in East Texas, I know your region seven to eight times higher issues in terms of uh, rural access to healthcare than state and national benchmarks. And I'm curious, you know, what are your ideas for addressing that? Like you can train these people in the community, embed them in the community. Are you bringing the students from the community? And what else could we be doing to to kind of address this rural healthcare uh, issue that we're seeing across the country? Oh, I love that question. Watch out. This podcast could be four hours. <laughs> um, yeah. So how do you how do you basically get them to stay in the region and serve in the region after they finish training? Right. That's the that's the big question. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, you need people who are uh, connected and love the towns of our region. And the way to do that is get kids from the from those towns. Right. Get kids from the region in the med school and then um, back out into the community. And so we are expressly gearing our entire admissions process toward East Texas residents. So our number one criteria for admissions is called the geographic ties index. And you get points for being born there, your parents being from there, going to high school there, et cetera. And you get a, an index showing how connected you are to East Texas. And that's as important as academics to us. We have four different pillars. Another one's mission-centeredness, and we're uh, giving you points for being first-generation college, all these things that are very common in our region, but also having a lot of community service and leadership and and those kind of things. Um, those are, to us, are just as important as the academics. So we're trying to right-size academics and focus on kids from this region, get them into our school, and then how do we get them into the areas of need, right? How do we get them to go into family practice, internal medicine, pediatrics, ER, those kind of things. And the key to that, in my opinion, is they're more on the culture of the med school, focusing it on preventive care and primary care and making people feel excited about that and continue to love that. I don't know about you, but I went to a med school that was talked a big game about primary care, but the culture was all about specialties right? All the cool kids growing to subspecialties. Not that subspecialties are bad, obviously needed, but the overwhelming need we have is preventive primary type care. And so making a culture that celebrates that, that supports that and makes it just awesome. Um, 
And then the, the next step of that is making sure they graduate with a very low debt load. Because if you graduate with a huge debt load, you're more likely to go in high compensation specialty. So we want our students graduating with a minimal debt, um, to which end we actually receive two philanthropic gifts where our first two classes have free tuition for all four years. Wow. My goal and my main fundraising is to establish an endowment so we have free tuition forever. That I think could be the biggest step we could take in making our vision and providing physicians for the region a reality. And the next thing is a dramatic enhancement of GME. We need to have strong GME programs in every high specialty so they can do their residency here when they finish med school, because where you do residency is the biggest predictor of where you're going to practice. So GME, and then we are making sure we have really strong loan repayment programs tied to a service commitment with your GMEs. I think if you get kids from the region, get them into school, support them, give them a low debt load, get them into GME program here, then partner with the local health systems to place them in the region. I think we're going to have amazing people coming from East Texas and becoming physicians. And then we are going to be going out to elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and all our local universities to establish early assurance programs and all of those things to give the kids of the region the idea in their head that they can be a health professional. Because to me, I think that's the biggest reason people from underserved regions like East Texas don't become health professionals. They never know how to do it and they never see themselves in that role. Wow, that's very comprehensive. Uh, yeah, sorry. Kind of, no, no, get on. no, no, don't apologize. That's <laughs> You kind of pre preempted a number of my questions about, uh, and, and obviously you guys have thought this out a lot. Um, certainly the debt issue is clear. Uh, the median debt of a graduating med student is $200,000. And if you can address that, you know, hopefully, and, and make the culture of the school one where they're geared towards preventative primary care, uh, obviously with what you're teaching them, that, that makes a lot of sense. But even reaching out further downstream, in the elementary, middle to high schools, and then all the way into GME, where certainly people are lost uh, often because the, more of the GME programs are in the cities. And that's during a formative period of time where they're, you know, having families and laying down roots. So super interesting. And I, I never heard of this uh, geographic index. Is that is that kind of an innovation you guys have led with? or uh, It is. Um, I, I worked with one of my favorite colleagues, Dr. Sunny Nakai, and uh, she was one of the most innovative thinkers on admissions. And uh, we worked on that together and have implemented it here. Wow. Um, really excited about it. I just had two other questions for you. Um, the first is, you know, you're dean of a, of a med school. You have a blank slate, as we talked about, and your students st started. I'm curious, what's your advice to them and, and our audience, you know, a couple million current and future healthcare professional students about meeting the challenges of this moment in our life uh, and beyond approaching their career in medicine? Love-based decisions, not fear-based decisions. Um, I think too many times people go into medicine for the wrong reasons, like they should, or their family told them they should or whatever. But if, if you're going into it because you really love helping people and you really love science and you really love doing the things that we can do as physicians to make a difference in people's lives, you're going to love your career. And I, you know, I think that's the key is making sure people make the decisions with a truly open heart and, uh, going toward things that they, that they really love and that we, we set up admissions. So we select for those, those people as well. Um, I'm not sure if that directly answers it, but that's my biggest advice because to be in our med school, we want people who are passionate about changing these outcomes and you have to, you have to love that. It's, it's not going to be a long-term fit if you don't, if you don't love that. I love, I, I really like that advice. One of my mentors, a guy named Crawford Cragen, 
has this, you know, you want to be in a survive in a thrive mentality, not just a survive mentality. So coming from a place of, as, as you said, love, not, not fear. It's a good way to make decisions. Um, that'll serve them well. My, my last question for you is obviously we could talk for hours about all these different things. What do you wish I had asked you about, or what do you want to get across to our audience that I haven't had the opportunity yet to ask you about? Uh, I think we covered most of it. Um, one thing about med schools is not just education. Part of what's really important is the research mission. And we're trying to be extremely innovative in that too. I think um, some, a number of schools are doing this, but making sure the research mission is also community embedded in a value add way, not a using kind of a way, right? So where you're engaging the community in research, not only on topics that matter to the health outcomes in that region, but that provide immediate benefit to the community. Um, and so I think that's a novel thing that I'd love to, we can chat about more, but making that explicit in every grant you're writing and every project is how is the research tied to your, your vision and your mission? Because a lot of times it's just kind of off by itself and just whatever can get the most money in NIH dollars is what's followed. But I think uh, that should also be vision and mission related. I really like that because again, I know uh, most med schools have the educational research and clinical missions and they, they don't often coordinate, but it seems like your, your North star is within the region being community embedded as mentioned and preventive healthcare in general. And so with that North star, you know, making sure everything you do, education, right. research and clinical is within the community. I think it's super smart. I'm excited to see how it develops over the next few years. Yeah, we're trying to. I mean, if you look at our, our website, medicine.uttahler.edu, a little plug there. The first thing, it's a four-part mission, not three-part. The number one, intentionally, is community engagement. It's before everything else. Um, and I actually did it reverse of most. It's funny. I, I Community engagement, education, research, and then clinical, because it's usually the exact opposite in most schools, right? Clinical matters the most, research second, education's like toward the bottom. And then, oh yeah, the community's there, right? Um so we're really trying to be very intentional about flipping that paradigm. Well, I love it. I'm, again, excited to come visit at some point and just seeing how it develops. It's so exciting when new med schools start, especially ones with, with leaders who kind of get it and are innovative. So Dr. Willis, I appreciate not just you taking the time to be with us, but more importantly, the work that you and your colleagues are doing to raise the line and strengthen our healthcare system. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here and uh, looking forward to getting you out here at East Texas. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, you met my dad in person on a plane randomly and maybe, maybe next time I'll meet you in person. So uh, with that, I would like to thank our audience also for checking out today's show and remind them to do their part to raise the line. We're all in this together and I'm Shivulani. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.